Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. All right, you guys ready for a new series? I'm nervously excited about this series because you give um, people the opportunity to ask questions, they're going to ask questions. And so, um, John ja Morant, for, uh, he's the point guard for the Grizzlies, he had this quote, come on somebody, he had this quote at the end of the season, the playoffs, he said, we ain't ducking no smoke, we're going to run up that chimney. So for me, you guys gave some, <laughs> some, some, some really hard questions, and what I'm saying is I'm not ducking no smoke. I'm going to do my best to answer these questions according to God's word. I got, good, I'm glad you're laughing now. <laughs> because there might be some points over the course of this month that you might not be laughing. And so looking at all these questions, but hopefully it will challenge and encourage you, right? We all have opportunities to grow. And so some of the questions we got were specifically to maybe some doctrinal or practical practitional things, if that's a word, how we practice some things here at Avenue Church. And so I don't want you to think this is just because like Stephen decided to do things a certain way um, is through prayer and just studying God's word, how we operate. And so the two questions that I got today, and it's actually, um, I'm, I'm going to combine them essentially into one question, but I got two questions that were kind of around the same topic. Um, so we're going to combine them. The first question is this, is what is the church's stance on women's leadership's roles within the church. <sighs> All right. And then the second question is this, is, is what, yeah, start, I'm, I'm gonna start with the easy one, right? Um, what is the church's stance on drinking alcohol while being on a serve team? And so got to think it like this could be a dangerous combination, especially for some of us guys, right? It's like, do we give a woman authority over us? Um, how much alcohol is too much? Is alcohol okay? And so when it looks like in the life of Avenue Church, we're gonna, we're gonna broaden this question uh, because there's, there's a greater answer involved. And, and what, um, how do we view leadership here at Avenue Church? How do we view leaders within the church? And when you look at these two questions, they are what we call in our statement of beliefs, and even we talk about in starting point, there are things within our Christian faith that are essentials, okay? And these are doctrinal things when it comes to the deity of Jesus, when it comes to the virgin birth of Jesus, when it comes to you and I being, you know, born into sin, not being able to save our, our, ourselves, believing that, that salvation only comes through a relationship with Jesus, acknowledging his sacrifice for our sins. Um, essentials, believing that the word of God is the word of God. It's not made up by men. But then there are also things that are non-essentials that churches have built denominations on and theology on and practices on that have divided the church, Right? And so these non-essentials are things like, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not a salvation thing. We believe that that is an experience for all believers, but we're not going to condemn you if you don't believe that. 
We believe that there are spiritual gifts that are active within the church today. Um, we practice and operate baptism by submersion, uh, but not other churches. So in things that I consider non-essential, we will take the position of love and charity. Amen. Amen. And that in all things, we will show unity in the body of Christ, right? Because Jesus said it is by your love for one another and your unity with one another that the world will know that you are my followers. And so, yes, these questions are tough, but at the end of the day, if we're loving and following Jesus, these questions are non-essential. But I want you guys to understand what scripture says about it because you might be at a place where you are growing and this could be a roadblock for you. Right, And so I want to allow scripture to remove these roadblocks. And so when, when it comes to women leading and teaching within the church, and we'll kind of start here and then dovetail into the other one, it mostly comes up from debate um, for a couple of scriptures that, to be honest, are pulled out of context just a little bit without considering the cultural um, considerations. And so 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 um, says this. So Paul is writing 1 Timothy. It's, it's a letter written to one of his apostles, of one of his, his pastors who is leading a church plant. And he says, women should learn quietly and submissively. <laughs> okay, all right. Nobody throw anything. All right, I'm just reading scripture. All right. Um, and it says, I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen how? Okay, guys, just look at me. This is a safe place. All right, this is a safe place. And we want to focus on the area where it says women should learn quietly and submissively, let them listen quietly. But what we have to understand is what Paul is directing here is huge. He's saying, let them learn. Because you have to understand that in this context and in this culture, women were not allowed to learn. They were seen as secondary, as second class. And so what we want to focus on is we want to say that women are not allowed to teach, but is what Paul is saying is let them learn submissively. And I'll come back to this in a moment, but I also want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And it says, women should be silent during church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. Kind of saying the same thing. He says, they should be submissive just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Now, now there are two camps um, when, when it comes to looking at this. There's, there's a camp called Egalitarian and there's a camp called, um, oh, I should have put it in my notes. Um, thank you, complementarian. I was wanting to say comparison, but it's not complementarian. Where egalitarian believes that, that men and women have equal authority and equal right to lead. Complementarian believes that, that women have um, giftings that complement a, a, a man within the church, but they're not to have authority and lead. So when you pull these two um, camps out of context from the scripture, we are missing some things because what Paul is, is doing here is you have to remember that these letters are written specifically to churches and to leaders as they are dealing with things that are going on in those specific churches based off 
that context and that content. Are you guys following with me, right? And so Paul is addressing what's been going on in these churches where the women were not allowed to like be in a place of learning and now they are in a place of learning and they're asking questions on what's going on and it's being disruptive. And so Paul, even before this in Corinthians, he's bringing order to how tongues and interpretation should take place, to how you know prophecies should take place. And so there is order being brought to the church But then if we just take that completely out of context, it's clear in other writings from Paul that he affirmed women in leadership roles. Okay, so these are the two verses that we take and we say women can't teach and lead within the church. But then when you take the totality of Paul's teachings, he addresses and affirms other women who are leading in the church, big C. Right In these two passages of the scriptures, Paul is addressing the local church, little c. But when we look at the totalness of the epistles and what Paul is writing, he affirms and lifts up women who are leading within the church. And so in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, he actually lists several. He says, I commend to you or I present to you, <clears throat> excuse me, our sister Phoebe, who is a what? deacon within the church. A deacon is a leader within the church. And he says, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Now in this, like Phoebe, Paul's written this letter and he gives this letter to Phoebe to deliver to the church at Rome. So he's given her the responsibility to deliver this message in this letter. And most of the time when the person that was delivering the letter got to the place where the letter was supposed to be delivered, guess who read the letter? The person who was delivering the letter. And so Phoebe, more than likely, was the one to read the letter before the church. And so what is she doing? She is teaching and she is leading within the church after she's saying smelly cat, right? I just got to break the ice right there. I had to bring it in there, right? But she is called a, people are like, what? Friends, (laughs) friends reference, right? Phoebe was a character on Friends. She had a song named Smelly Cat. But Phoebe in scripture came forth and read this letter. And Paul doesn't just call her a co-worker. He also calls her a deacon, okay? Um, and so you can go back and look at 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 3, and um, it gives some qualifications for who deacons are. And so it talks about who deacons are, um, how they're supposed to live to be qualified. Um, and then it goes on towards the end of the chapter and ta- speaks to wives, Wives are supposed to live this way. But the Greek word for wives there is actually dual meaning. It can mean woman or wife. And so you can take that as just for the wife or you can take that as just for the woman. But we see here in practice that Paul aligns himself with allowing women to lead within the church. And then also some other examples in verse three, it says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my coworkers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me and I'm thankful to them. And so are all the Gentiles in the church and also give my greetings to the church that meets in their 
home. And so we see these two individuals, Priscilla and Aquila, um, come up several other times, two or three other times in scripture. And there's an important um, factor in how their names are mentioned. Because most of the time when a couple is mentioned, who's mentioned first? The husband is normally mentioned, right? It's Stephen and Jennifer. It is normally, it would have been, you know, Aquila and Priscilla, but some scholars think that this was in reference to not necessarily the authority, right? That Aquila um, or Priscilla had over Aquila, but the influence that she had within the church, okay? Now, we know that within a marriage, Paul tells us in Ephesians that a wife submits to the husband, right? Just as Christ submits to the church, but at the same time, the husband also submits to the wife just as Christ submitted himself to the cross, right? We always wanna throw that submit to the husband, but before that's even mentioned, Paul says, mutually submit to one another as you submit to Christ. And so what, what, is, what is being pointed out here is not necessarily their position within the home, but probably Priscilla's influence within the church. Are you guys still with me? Good. Romans 16, verses six through seven, Paul gives a couple more examples. He says, give my greeting to Mary who has worked so hard for your benefit. So this is another female, another lady in the church who has worked diligently. Um, Greet Andronicus and Eunius, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles. So these are two apostles that Paul is talking about. And Unia is the wife here. And she is carrying the same title and the same influence and the same authority as her husband within the church. Carrying the title and authority of apostle. And then there's some, also some other women that, that Paul mentions with Chloe and um, Epiphia who are also leaders within their home churches. Okay? Now, Here's where I want to get to and bring the, the, the playing field kind of level. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. Okay. And that within the church, we all depend on each other, right? There are certain giftings and abilities that the ladies of the house carry that men can't, thank you, Jesus. And then there are certain things within the house of God that, that men carry and responsibilities and authority that the ladies don't. Can I get an amen so that you're with me, right? What these two passages that we read at the beginning, what they focus on um, is mostly like authority and titles, Scripture doesn't focus on that. And Paul, even in 1 Corinthians 12, comes back to this and saying, like, I don't want us to focus on authorities and titles, but on giftings and abilities and anointings, because those all come from the Holy Spirit. Paul says this. He says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. And there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. 
God works in different ways, but it is the same God who works in all of us. Now, verse seven, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Each of us so we can help each other. And so as I look across this room and we've got ladies that serve in different areas and we have guys that serve in different areas and we don't have you in those areas because of your gender. We have you in those areas because of your gifting. We have you in those areas because of the anointing that is on your life. Short answer, can women lead in the church? Yes, women can lead and teach in the church. But let's back up and a better answer to that. Let's not just confine it to gender. But I grew up in a youth pastor, like as a youth pastor. And so many times people would say the teenagers are the church of tomorrow, but they're just as much the church of today. And so let's, let's, let's not just put leadership and serving within the box of gender, but this is, I believe, is a better answer. Leading and serving in the church is not a matter of gender, age, race, wealth, education, or even ability. Let me say that again. Leading and serving in the church is not a matter of gender, age, race, wealth, education, or even ability. It is a matter of surrender. Who do we surrender to? Not to the church, not to the pastor, not to the leader, but we surrender to Christ because he is our Lord, right? We surrender to him. It is a matter of gifting that each one of us has been giving a gift so that we can serve one another. That's calling. And then it's also obedience. So who is qualified to serve within the church? It doesn't matter about your age, your height. It doesn't matter about your bank account. But what matters is the calling that's on your life, your willingness to surrender and your willingness to obey and walk out in the gifting that God has for you. Okay? Okay. So as we look at that, like, like leading within the church, that here at Avenue Church, we believe that anyone, that if, if the calling is on your life and you're willing to step in, now this is the part, to step in obedience in the direction God has called you. There's a surrender that takes place and there is an obedience that takes place because of that calling. And there is a power that comes with it. And Peter Parker's uncle told him that with great power comes great responsibility, right? See how I segue right into that next question, right? And that, that those of us who are leading within the church, we have power, we have authority, but can I just present to you that whether you're on a serve team or not, and you align yourself with Christ by confessing that you are a Christian, that you have responsibility and you have power that you have a responsibility and you have power. And you may, you, know, you may attend Avenue forever and never serve on a team. That's not my heart for you, but you have, because you confess Christ, you have authority, you have power, but you also have a responsibility. And so this is why I believe that, that as Christians, as serve team members, and as leaders, but going back to the foundation that as Christians, we are held to a greater expectation from culture and a greater standard from culture, okay? And so when you look at just a Jesus, Jesus follower, so let's just set like culture foundation here, right? If you are confessing yourself as a Christian, you're held to a higher standard than culture by default, 
If you choose to serve within the church, you are held to a higher standard than someone who is just a Christian. And I don't mean that term like derogatory, just a Christian, right? And so even if you choose to lead within the church, you are held to even a higher standard than someone who is just serving in the church. And so understand that as a Christian, as a servant, as a leader, that people look at you differently. People have different expectations of us. I'm in that camp. And so when it comes to the question of can you drink and serve, I'll answer it in a minute. <laughs> First Timothy 3, I mentioned it earlier. Paul gives these qualifications of what it is to be an elder, to be a deacon, to be a leader within the church. Um, you can go, I'm not going to list all of you. You can go and read it. You know, likes to have people in your home, likes, you know, is kind, people speak well, a good reputation, good family, manages money well, um, and then like does not drink too much wine, okay? So it doesn't say can't drink wine. It says does not drink too much wine. And Paul actually says, he says, do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, growing up in my denomination, Jesus' whole first miracle was turning water into wine, right? And then there was the argument, well, it wasn't real wine. It was more like grape juice. No, they were like toasted already, right? And they were ready for some more that was really good. They were like, it wasn't, it wasn't Welch's, right? It wasn't Welch's. <laughs> and so, so how, do we, how do we navigate this tension within the church? And so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at several passages there. Um, is this helpful? I hope it's helpful. First Corinthians chapter eight, let's look at some passages there and I'm gonna teach a little bit differently than what I normally do. In verse one, Paul makes this statement. He says, now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. So Paul has received a similar question than what I've received. Just same context, different, different item of consumption, if you will, same context. He says, now in regards to your question about food that has been offered to idols, he says, we all know that we all have knowledge about this issue. And so he goes on over the next couple of verses to address the issue of personal consciousness and conviction when it comes to eating food that has been offered to idols. Because you got to think, like the church in Corinth is in a pagan culture. And so there's not a church on every, there's, there's, there's not a synagogue on every corner. There's not a church. There are these temples, elaborate temples that have been built to idols and false gods. And as a part of the worship, what the members of those temples would do is they would offer food to these idols that was essentially cooked, and then you would eat it afterwards. And he's saying, is it okay for us to eat this? And, and he, he goes on in the next several verses to explain that, that we know, those of us who are in, like, in Christ, we know that those idols are not real gods, that they're not real. Our conscience is clean because we know that there is only one true God. There's only one name that, that heaven and earth will bow, and that is Jesus. And so he says, the food that's offered to these little gods, they just got grilled in front of a statue, right? Like in front of a trophy. It's like, there's no power in that. And he's saying, we understand that there's no power in that. Those of us who are mature, stay with me. But there are those who are new to the faith 
that may not understand fully yet that there's no power in that. And so by eating that meat, they believe they are eating, bringing a curse on themselves. You guys tracking with me? And so he's saying it's okay to eat it for us because our conscience is clear. But he goes on to say that someone whose conscience is not clear, it's not okay for, the, for them to eat it because of, of where they're at. And so verse eight says this. So he says, it's true that we, can, we can't win God's approval by what we eat and we don't lose anything if we don't eat it and we don't gain anything if we do eat it. So it's like going to Outback and eating a steak. Like there's no difference between that steak and the steak that was grilled on the altar of an idol. That we're not gonna gain anything by not eating it. We're not gonna lose anything by eating it. And in verse nine, he says this. He says, but you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. You guys seeing the connection is that there are those who are walking in faith that when it comes to alcohol or maybe anything else, your conscience may be clear on it, but it may not be clear on their conscience and they struggle with that. He says, be careful. Look at your neighbor say, be careful. Be careful so that your freedom does not cause others to stumble. Now, those of us that have been in church for a while, um, growing up in church, we can, if we're not careful, we can build up um, personal convictions that we want to force on those around us, okay? We cannot do that. As a church, we will not do that. Now, I will just be honest. Like sometimes, for, now, let me back up. There are things in scripture that are black and white that are sin and acceptable. We will always speak against that. All right, I don't want you to misquote me. It's like, pastor's saying like everything. No, there are things in scripture that we will speak against. Come October, there's gonna be a lot of it as we look in the book of Daniel, right? How do we speak against it? But then there are also things like alcohol, like tobacco, like too much television, like too many Oreos, like, like, like there are things that are personal convictions like dress, music preferences, worship styles that we build um, denominations and traditions on because either the pastor or someone within the church wanted to force their personal convictions on those around them. We're not gonna do that. I, I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't be the Holy Spirit in your life, right? All right, and I don't get it right all the time, right? I don't get it right all the time, but Paul says, he says this, be careful, that there are things that aren't sin that we are free to do, but just because we are free to do them does not mean that they are good for us, edifying for us, or those around us. And so he makes this bold statement in verse 13. He says, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live for I don't wanna cause another believer to stumble. And he says just before that, if someone sees me doing this, essentially what it's doing is it's telling them that it's okay. Even though we didn't say it, they saw us doing it. And, and, and we, 
made them think that they should be doing it. Does that make sense? And, and he makes this bold statement. He says, if eating meat causes someone else to sin, I will never eat meat again in my life. And so I say all of that, that as a Christian, baseline. As someone who is on a serve team, a little step up. Someone who leads within the church, that there are certain things, my pastor always said this, and I never understood it until I got there, that as you go up, there are things that you have to give up that are not necessarily sin, but they could hurt your influence and be a detriment to the conscience of those around you. And so for me, like, like drinkings, like I've stayed away, I had a little fun in college, right? <laughs> Everyone, but, but for the most part, <laughs> sorry, Addison. <laughs> where I was not wise, <laughs> counseling session after, where I was not wise. But as an adult, I've seen addiction destroy my family on both sides. And so I removed that out of my life for my health and also for my family so that that ends with me, right? But then there are other things that I really enjoyed that weren't necessarily sin, didn't bother me, that I've given up. Like in college, like I loved cigars. Like my, my sweet mate worked at a cigar store and I would let him break curfew if he gave me free cigars. Don't judge me, right? Because they were really like, I'm sorry, Addison. <laughs> but, and again, not like I was smoking them all the time, but I would have a cigar every once in a while and I would collect cigar boxes. I would spend lots of money on eBay collecting cigar boxes and cigar box labels because I just I enjoyed it right? But when I became a youth pastor, all of those went in a Rubbermaid container and I like cut out the Macanudos and the Onyx. And so I stopped smoking. Not that smoking a cigar is a sin, but is a detriment to your body, right? For one, but it also kills the witness around you, whether you're a believer, a Christian, or a leader in the church. Are you guys tracking with me? Are we okay? Am I stepping on your toes a little bit? Hope not, but hope so at the same time, right? And so think about this. Are there things for you as a Christian, as a leader, as a servant that maybe aren't necessarily bad, but it could be hindering the influence that you have on those around you? And so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of who? God. And this verse 32 is hard, y'all, especially in today's culture. Um, don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles, and I caught this in studying this week, or the church, the church of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. Don't, don't give people an opportunity to be offended. And I know that's really hard right now, right? <laughs> it's just like everybody gets offended for any little thing. But as Christians, we should be, a, the church word is above reproach. Like, like there shouldn't, we should do the very best in our life to leave out things that's gonna cause offense to those inside the church and those outside the church, those who are tradition. And I'm like, guys, I get it. I didn't get it until I was the lead guy. And now I get it. It's this constant tension and like what I wanna do and what's okay, but what is best for me and the ministry and my family. And it's like, I, I don't get it right as much as I would like to, but it's always on my mind. Like even so much as so like, like and, and this is a small thing. 
you know, like, like social media, I'm running and I'm like hyped about running. And so like, I'll post my running and it's like, choose a, a hype song to go with it. And I was like, I can't, I can't post that. I loved that song as a teenager. Jesus didn't die to save music. He died to save people, right? But there's still music that is not edifying. It's like, I can't, I can't, I, I, I can't have that. And so what do we need to give up as we go up? It's so easy. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is um, what we lean into when it comes to our A-teams, our A-teams or our serve teams. Um, he says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault within our ministry. Paul is talking to the church that, that you and I, church, we need to live in such a way that no one finds fault within our ministry, talking about the church, but also look at me, listen to me, your ministry. Because whether you believe it or not, you have a ministry in scripture, we're called a royal priesthood. You may not call yourself a pastor, but there are people in your life that you are pastoring because you are a Christian. And he says, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. And so I'm gonna share with you guys um, our 18 code. At other churches, you have leadership covenants, you have other things, but here at Avenue Church, we have something that's called an A-team code, an, an honor code. And I don't make you, we, we don't make you sign it. We're not always checking up on you to make sure, right? But if, if there are some areas that, that we see as a team member or even, even not a team member, like I've had conversations with, with other, that's part of my job, I don't like it, right? We're, um, where we are challenging each other. And so these are some things that, that we ask our A-team members to kind of consider and maybe even for you. And the first one is this, and they're not hard to remember. The first one is this, is guard your heart. When it comes to whether or not I can drink alcohol, smoke, who I need to be dating, lifestyles, like we gotta start here because everything else is behavior. Right, And so we have to start with our heart because Solomon says this, that, that guard your heart above all else. Before you try to change your behavior, guard your heart because out of your heart flows everything else in your life. That is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is out of the treasures of the heart that good things are brought out of a good heart and evil things are brought out of a evil heart. So guard your heart. And so what does that look like? That, that looks like, you know, watching the media that goes in your eyes and in your ears. The staff that I was on in my previous church, we could not watch R-rated movies. And early on as a young staff member, I was like, this is ridiculous, right? It's like, have you seen, except, except Passion of the Christ, right? You can watch that, okay? That's, that's the one that you're allowed to watch. But what about all these other movies? You have to give up to go up. And honestly, when I got free, I tried to watch an R-rated movie and I was like, oh my gosh, like how am I? And there's some PG-13 movies. It's like, I, I can't even watch those, right? Bring back Andy Griffin. I know, I sound real old. No, not doing that, right? No, not doing that. But, but we have to be careful of what we watch and what we listen to affects our heart. We have to be careful of the relationships that we're in, whether dating or platonic, because that affects our heart. We have to be careful with the unforgiveness and the bitterness that we hold on to from those that have hurt us, because guess what? That affects our heart. So we have to start there. We guard our heart and then we, we watch our words. We watch what we say and we watch what we type. You used to type like this, but now it's type like this, right? We watch what we type. We watch what we post. 
Scripture says that the power of life and death is in the tongue, that if we can control our tongue, we can control the rest of life, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We watch our words. Um, we're told we're going to give an account for every idle word. Think about that. Like how many words do we have that are idle that we waste, guys? Um, and that is our language choice. What we say, like the, the words that we use, like Jesus didn't die to save words to save people, but there are certain words that are not edifying and, and, and holy, right? Um, and then also conversation topic. We need to be careful of the conversations that we're involved in. Are they edifying or are they tearing down? Whether that comes from like talking about politics, come on gossiping about people at work, talking about our family, talking about our church, talking about other churches, other denominations. We want to be careful that we watch our words. And so like it's one thing, it's really one thing because, you know, some of my team likes to make fun of some of the things I say up here. Um, and there's been some things I've just let some stuff slip. I'm like, ah, oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Like, it's one thing, guys, when you're in the middle of a conversation or you're speaking to a group of people and words slip out. That has happened to all of us, right? Okay, let's just, but when you are posting something, can I just go here? When you are posting something and you're typing something that could be offensive, that could be derogatory, you've got a little more time to think about it <laughs> because there's an extra step. You have to type it as you're reading it, and then you have to type post or send, whether it's a text message, a social media post, an email. There's that extra step. And so let's be cautious with our words. And so we can ask these questions. Is it true? Is it building up or tearing down? Is it a good representation of the God that I serve? Is it the right time? Is this the right person? And are we sharing the gospel more than my opinion? Are we sharing the gospel more than my opinion? And so we have to watch our words. And this is maybe the next one is kind of where alcohol comes in. Honor your body. Like our body is the temple, right? The Holy Spirit resides within us. And, and like old school thought is like, you know, this is God's house. No, guys, this is God's house. And so we honor our body and we honor the spirit that's within inside of us. And so is having a drink at meal wrong? No, but drunkenness is. And so I ask, even for me, like there are times that we have to abstain from certain things within our life that may start to have a control over us. For some, maybe it's sugar. For, for me, it's caffeine, right? Coffee, I love my coffee. And so I take, you know, Paul says that, that I beat my body into submission, right? So that at the end of the race, I won't be disqualified. So there are things and seasons where I go through and I fast from just to, just to tell my body, you're not in charge, Right? And so we honor our body in that way and also from not participating in you know, any sexual immorality. And then really like all of this wraps up in the last one and it's just choose your neighbor. And that's what Paul is essentially saying here is, is when it comes to leading and serving as a believer, as a Christian, is, is we need to choose our neighbor above ourselves. Um, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Just because it's clear on my conscience doesn't mean it is on them. And so short answer, you can drink and serve, just not at the same time, okay? <laughs> like, let's just <laughs> clarify that. We've got coffee, anything else? No, all right, no. Let's, let's take Sundays off the books, right? But here's, here's the better answer. Like, short answer is yes, right? 
Better answer is this, is let's choose spiritual influence over personal indulgence. Let's choose spiritual influence over personal indulgence. And if, if, if we think that, and I know this is not fun, but people are watching for us to mess up. Not that I want you walking around all anxious, but let's be mindful that our words matter, our actions matter, our decisions matter, our choices matter, our relationships matter, not just to us, but it impacts how we display and present the gospel. Paul says, I don't want anything to prevent me from hearing the gospel. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. He says, I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And that's why we have Avenue Church. That's why we have serve teams. That's why we have small groups. It is for discipleship, for us to be able to grow and for evangelism, for others to come into a relationship with Christ. And it takes all of us doing that together as God has gifted us and anointed us and positioned us. I didn't say this, but positioned us at work, in school, in relationships, in community to reach those that are around us. And so I hope like this helps under, help you understand how we see leadership, that we see every person in this room capable of leading in the area that God has gifted them in and in the position. And I don't want anything to keep you from reaching that potential and reaching the people that God has put around us. And so let's just ask God to equip us in this moment. So let's pray. Father, God, we just come to you and I thank you for these incredible people. God, I thank you for how you are leading in this church. God, I thank you even for the boldness that um, some had to ask these questions. Because God, that means that, that you're working on the inside of them. God, that you're shaping something in them. God, that you are bringing them to a new place, a new place in relationship with you. God, that you're opening their eyes in new ways. You're opening their heart in new ways. And God, I just pray that, that something that was said today, God elevates that brings them closer to you. And God, even if it sparked more questions, God, I pray they go to the source, they go to your word, God, to find those answers. And God, if there's anyone in this room, just in this moment that has felt less than in a previous situation that they weren't qualified to lead because of gender, because of age, because of background, because of race, God, I pray that they know that in this house, you've gifted all of us to lead and serve. God, that, that there would just be healing to take place. And God, just a refreshing for the next part of the journey that you've brought them on. And God, I pray that you would just work in us a conviction that some things that we need to give up in our lives um, to have a greater influence on those around us. And God, if there's anyone in here that has struggled with addictions in any area, God, that they have felt disqualified to lead because of that, God, I pray that you remind them what your word says, that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. All things that are old are gone and all things are made new, that it is a new season. And God, that, that you just protect them from that addiction reoccurring. 
And God, if there's anyone in here today that does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that something they've experienced and felt and heard this morning, God, would draw them to you. God, it's your word that quickens us, that cuts between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, but it's your spirit that draws us to you. And so, God, that, that in this moment, they're simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. God, that in that moment, they are forgiven. In that moment, as they acknowledge you as their Lord and their Savior, in that moment, as they seek forgiveness, that it is given and the the guilt and shame that brought them to this place is replaced with with grace and mercy. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, listen.